It's time to get informed and inspired. This is Saturday Morning Live, sponsored by Asset Advisors, LLC, and Linden Sheet Metal on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham, and KGMI.com. KGMI and the Cascade Radio Group receive financial compensation to present this program in its entirety. Opinions and information expressed are those of the host and or sponsors and do not necessarily reflect those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Good morning and welcome to Saturday Morning Live. I'm Ashley Buttonshone, your host. And this morning on with me, I have John Michael Graves. John Michael Graves, he works with Stand With Us, a nonpartisan international education nonprofit dedicated to combating anti-Semitism and educating the public about Israel. John Michael is deeply involved in working with schools to provide resources and materials on Jewish and Israeli topics. He also plays a vital role in assisting students facing anti-Semitism, connecting them with Stand With Us pro bono legal work and guiding them through the process. With a diverse background standing from politics to academia to history, John Michael brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to his role as an educator. So please welcome today to the show, John Michael Graves. Good morning, John Michael. How are you this morning? Good morning. I am doing really well. You know, it was funny as I was listening. Can you hear me, Ashley? You might have some technical difficulties. Oh, are we connected? John Michael, are you on this morning? Hi, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Welcome. How are you this morning? Oh, perfect. I'm doing great. Well, I was just saying, it's so funny, as I was listening to this intro from Bellingham, I'm in San Diego, which is quite literally the exact opposite (laughs) side (laughs) of the country on the coast. So you're right next to Canada. I'm right next to Mexico. But I'm really happy to be here today. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You know, uh, to the listeners this morning, I I was at a convention recently where John Michael spoke on the topic of, you know, Israel and the conflict in the Middle East. And I felt that as we've got universities and colleges around the nation supporting Hamas and the topic has become kind of a hot one, I thought we would invite John Michael on the radio to talk about Israel, the land, its history. So this actually is going to be a multi-part kind of series that we're going to do. We're going to dive into the history of Israel. So thank you so much for coming on. We're going to take our first break real fast. And then when we come back, we're going to just dive right into the history of Israel and, and how it got started. So we'll be right back. High interest rates got you down for the count. Wilson's Furniture's President's Day Sale is the answer to get you up off the floor and onto new and oh-so-comfortable furniture. Now, during the President's Day Sale, Wilson's is paying your sales tax and giving you same-as-cash financing. That new mattress you've been thinking about? Boom. Get a queen-size Tempur-Pedic for only $55 a month. Has that sofa you've had since the Sopranos were on finally gone and died on you? Wilson's has a power reclining sofa, love seat, and recliner set that'll make you feel like you're sleeping with the fishes for just 75 bucks a month. 
And if your patio set was blown away in that last windstorm, there's a beautiful five-piece patio set at Wilson's that's yours for only $35 a month. No interest and no sales tax add up to huge savings at Wilson's. Stop in now during the President's Day sale and save. Wilson's open seven days a week on Pacific Highway in Ferndale. See store for financing details available OAC. At Number One Automotive Body Repair, we know you're a great driver. The creme de la creme, the cream of the crop. Dare we say, F1's 2024 hotshot, but everyone else on the road. They're not you. And when they ruin your day, we're here to help. Bellingham's number one automotive body repair is the premier location for all your collision repair needs. Learn more at number1abr.com, part of the number one collision group. When you buy a Subaru, you're buying more than a vehicle. You're buying safety for your family, an investment that will hold its value, and something that will last a long, long time. In fewer words, you're buying trust. According to Consumer Reports, Subaru has been ranked the 2023 best mainstream automotive brand. And the Subaru Outback has been named a 2024 recommended model. For a limited time, you can celebrate them both with special offers during the Subaru A Lot to Love event at Dewey Griffin Subaru. On now through April 1st. Stop into Dewey Griffin Subaru and find out how you can get up to 1.9% APR financing on select new 2024 Subaru Outback models. Plus, when you purchase a Subaru from Dewey, you'll be supporting a local dealership that supports our local community. Dewey Griffin Subaru. Community-minded, community-driven, and the only Subaru certified tire and service center in Whatcom County. Learn more at Subaru.com slash CR. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. I'm your host, Ashley Buttonshone, and today on the show with me, I have John Michael Graves. And uh, John and I are, we're, John Michael and I are going to talk about Israel and um, the conflict in the Middle East. We're, we're going to start not really with the conflict as it is now, but we're going to jump back to more of the history of Israel and the, the, the conflict that, that it involves now, but where it all started, how we got where we are. And so John Michael, can you, can you tell me, you know, what are, maybe let's start with what the Jewish connection is to the land. Give me, let's start with the history on that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I know you hear, uh, very well said, Ashley, you hear this all the time within the news, within the media, talking about Israel, when it's this exceptionally small country that a lot of people actually don't know anything about. Uh, First and foremost, that the Jewish connection to this land goes back over 3,000 years, right? The story of Israel is kind of just rooted in the heritage and the indigeneity of the people and that land. What many people not understand is that the Jewish people are indigenous to this land, right? We've had a continuous presence within modern-day Israel and the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, and Gaza, and surrounding areas. We've had a continuous presence there for over about 3,000 years, right? I mean, Israel is loaded with archaeological digs. There's literally tons of evidence that uh, exists if you just do this. And the state of Israel uh, and many uh, friends of mine who are archaeologists actually was able to go and look on one of these uh, digs this last summer. You can see the Jewish connection. You see ancient forms of Hebrew. But what do I mean about a group that is indigenous 
to this land. We're all familiar with like the indigenous terminology used for uh, Native American, right? Right. So how does this apply to the Jews within Israel? Well, the language that the Jewish people speak, Hebrew, was developed in this land. The traditions and customs and culture of the Jewish people is rooted within the land of Israel. Uh, the Hebrew calendar is a lunar solar calendar that goes around the central geography of Israel. If any of your uh, viewers are or listeners are familiar with the holiday of Sukkot, this is uh, where uh, Jewish families are commanded to go build a sukkah, which is basically like this uh, tent hut outside uh, of their home to represent uh, the wandering in the desert. We do this every single year. Um, uh, during the High Holy Days, uh, it happens in a really, really cold time for us uh, in Seattle and other places. Uh, <laughs> and it's because this is supposed to be celebrated and represented in the Middle East, right? I always okay. make the joke, it's it's why you're freezing in the sukkah, because you're not supposed to be doing it in Minnesota, right? And so we have all of these traditions and customs when we pray, and especially religious Jews, when they pray three times a day, they face Jerusalem, right? They face east. Right. Um, even when I was growing up, my parents would, would say, you know, where is east? And we would, we would go and we would face towards it during our prayers. Um, Israel, the land of Israel, is mentioned in all of our prayers. We call it Eretz Israel. We call ourselves Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. This is a very... Uh, central focus of Jewish heritage, but Jewish culture, tradition, and practices. Uh, we end our most important holidays every single year with the phrase "Lishana Haba'a Yerushalayim." Next year, may we celebrate this in Jerusalem. We end Passover with this. We say this sometimes during Yom Kippur, depending on. Um, your family tradition, right? We have all of these things that connect us to this land, no matter if you were a Jew in the 1200s of Morocco or 1700s Ukraine or modern-day America. Right, the coming integral home. integral to your identity, exactly. Yeah. This coming home. And so there's this idea of Zionism. Maybe you've heard this. This yes. is sort of what's being talked about recently a lot. Uh, especially on the far left, and you also sometimes see it in the far right, but now we're seeing the modern uh, manifestations of this on college campuses. Zionism is this incredibly old religious idea that of returning to the land of Israel. Now, I can get into the specifics about why we are no longer, why we were no longer there for such a period of time, but it was a yearning for this return, a yearning to be fully Jewish. I don't know if you know this, but Within the, within the Torah, the Tanakh, right, the Hebrew Bible, there are mm -hmm. 613 mitzvot. And you cannot actually fully practice Judaism. You cannot do Judaism to the fullest extent unless you're in Israel, because there are certain mitzvah. Mitzvah just basically means commandment in English, although that's not uh, the best translation. Um, but you cannot do all of the commandments within Judaism unless you live. In Israel. So it's alarming to me when people uh, sort of try to not have this uh, connection for us in the land. And uh, I mean, you just you, you dig up and they find ancient coins that are 2,000 years old with uh, menorahs on them in Jerusalem, like they have, or ancient. There's a 2,700 year old uh, uh, plaque that they've discovered 
uh, with Hebrew on it, the language that we speak today. And right. so the connection is very apparent, um, more so than many other cultures, even with land. Judaism is a very uh, land-centered uh, ethno-religion uh, at many different, uh, depending on you know what you choose to look at, uh, incredibly connected. And so this idea of religious Zionism, this return home to be with uh, the Jewish people, to do Judaism to the fullest extent, right? Uh, is so, that it's, so it's really, I mean, really baked in that you're in that geographical place to fully be practicing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because this is where the Jews became Jews. Right. Um, beforehand, we were Hebrews, uh, if, if anyone's familiar with the Prince of Egypt or the Bible. Uh, <laughs> and then this is where the Jewish people, this is where the Jewish people become the Jewish people themselves, because um, before that, we, we didn't receive all of these different things, like um, um, the, the Torah, the Oral Torah, etc. I can get into that. Um, but this is where our culture develops. This is where our practices stem from. This is the language that we speak, was cre- where it was created. This is where we still talk about uh, today. Right. It's quite literally, for even the more religious Jews, uh, not the more secular Jews, uh, the promised land given by God, Hashem, the name in Hebrew, given by God to the Jewish people. Right. Okay, so... So we see, you know, and I, you and I were talking about this a little bit. What we see is we have this this deep and very uh, ancient connection to the land where you've got indigenous Jewish people there. But then there was, uh, you know, uh, they were kind of MIA for a bit. So what happened? Yeah, no, that's the best way to put it. So what essentially happened was there were these different kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. This is actually where we get the name Jews. If your listeners didn't realize, um, the modern day West Bank, the historic names of them are Judea and Samaria. You may be familiar with these terms from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And we are the Jews from Judea. And that was largely what the region was called at the time. And so people who were from there were Judean. And so you had these different Judean kingdoms, obviously. You're we're all familiar with uh, many of them, like the Davidic dynasty, right, of King David. Now, this is not, um, regardless or not, if you are a uh, religious Jew uh, or not, we can prove archaeologically the Davidic dynasty. In fact, that's where we really can start to prove things archaeologically. Before that, you just have to have faith uh, in what the Scripture says. But beginning with the Davidic dynasty, we actually can start showing this real concrete archaeological um, evidence of this Jewish, this ancient Jewish connection to the land. And so we have different kingdoms, and I won't belabor you with the stories. There's, uh, there's, they're very interesting, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> I had to open up, uh, open up the Bible to read some of them. They're fascinating. And so eventually, us Jews were sort of hanging around here uh, in the Levant area at the time. And then different colonial forces keep coming into this land and trying to take it over. Ultimately, uh, there's the story of Hanukkah. Many people might know with the Hellenistic Greeks trying to come and uh, Hellenize the area against Judaism, and then this is the whole Maccabean revolt, etc. But really, where we focus for when the Jews are expelled outside of Judea 
is around starting in 70 CE, 70 AD. Your uh, listeners might be familiar with the term. Okay. And what happens was there were these uh, groups of Roman emperors because the Jews started to get antsy about this colonial rule. If you remember uh, from the New Testament in which uh, Christians follow, there's the entire Roman colonial occupation. They get there about uh, around 60 to 90 years before the ministry of Jesus, right? And so that's why you have Pontius Pilate and these things. So before that, there was an independent uh, Judean kingdom, and then comes the Roman occupation of the Jews in the area. Um, And then this occupation sort of stays, and you have some Jews really not liking this, and so they try to sort of rebel uh, against Roman rule. Uh, Now, the Roman emperor at the time in uh, around 70, 67, 70 uh, CE, AD, uh, gets really uh, upset with this, and he decides to go in, quell these different rebellions, destroy the second temple, the Beit HaMikdash, or what we call it in Hebrew, and remove Jews from this area of Jerusalem. Now, this is the first expulsion, Jews from Jerusalem. Some Jews are able to remain in Jerusalem. There's, there's some things there. However, now, we have Jews on what we would say in Israel, the periphery, the periphery right, of this area. Mm-hmm. And so, eventually, continually, we also begin to get upset <laughs> about uh, what is happening. Uh, until there is something called the Bar Kokhba Revolt, or the Bar Kokhba Revolution. People wouldn't really call it a revolution. Uh, But the Bar Kokhba Revolt, uh, which is another group of Jews uh, who get fed up with this Roman rule and Roman occupation. This is occurring around like 135, 131, 135, uh, Common Era, A.D. And the Romans now, exceptionally, under Emperor Hadrian, get incredibly uh, miffed, right? And so they decide, well, the only way we really can quell this continual Jewish insurgency within the Levant is if we go and basically raise their structures and cities to the ground and expel them. And so that's what Emperor Hadrian does in 135. He sends down Roman guards and uses the ones that are already there, of course, and he starts destroying Jewish buildings, Jewish facilities, uh, other uh, makeshift Jewish places of worship, because now that there is no second temple, there is no Beit HaMikdash, there is no more sacrificial cult, Judaism becomes a much more uh, localized and personal thing that is yearning about the rebuilding of the next temple, right? Um, Judaism used to just be really focused, uh, centered in uh, around also the Beit HaMikdash, which is a part of also why it's uh, another one of these land-based cultures. But now it becomes more localized after 70, and then exceptionally so in 135, when he decides to uh, start destroying all of these uh, Jewish artifacts and Jewish places that uh, expels the Jews as sort of a way to really, really try and quell any rebellion before this really a backwater outpost within the Roman Empire. And then... And and so just for our listeners real quick, John Michael, this is all what would be modern-day Israel, correct? 
This is oh. what would consider be modern day Israel and the West Bank and, the West and Gaza. You could okay. also include um, historic Israel, actually. So there's this term we use in Hebrew called Eretz Yisrael, which just means land of Israel. And actually, this is a bit bigger than okay. um, this is a bit bigger than what the modern day state is. So if if you were really uh, if you were if you were more religious or who knows maybe more political, someone along the lines of Zev Jabotinsky, um, one of the early Zionist political thinkers, uh, you know that in the Torah, in the Bible, uh, what is promised to the Jewish people actually is a lot. Um, if you were to draw out the map of greater right. Israel, it, it, goodness, it, it encompasses what is today, like four or five other countries. Okay. Um, I don't think people are advocating that for now, but for, you know, religious Jews, especially, this is, this is something that um, they yeah. could maybe even, you know, that, that, that's personal to them. But right. as far as the actual land that was governed, not just the land promised uh, by God, uh, it includes a lot of what is modern-day Jordan, the East and the West and the East Bank, right? Okay. Which is, we'll get into the later, what actually also the British promised the Jews. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. A lot okay, so of, we're going to take a quick yeah. break. We're going to come back mm-hmm. and continue with the, the Roman occupation here. Um, but we're going to take a real quick break. We'll be right back. This is Dick Donahue, host of Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. These are interesting and challenging times with all the political turmoil both in the United States and overseas. How we address our financial decisions are top of mind with our clients and prospects. My many years of experience as a financial advisor are valuable as we help our clients paint a picture of their ideal lives. The independence we have through LPL Financial to offer non-proprietary solutions is equally important. So call us at Asset Advisors at 3 360-733-1200. Check out our website at wealthwakeup.com and join us at 11 a.m. each Saturday for Wealth Wake Up Live or 9 a.m. Sunday mornings for Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. The opinions voiced on Wealth Wake Up or in our podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. The Lummy Bay Market at Exit 260 is where you'll find more in the store. You'll find more in the store because there's so much store, almost 10,000 square feet. The Lummy Bay Market is where you'll find everything you need for on and off the road. You'll find the best value on gas and diesel, along with way more than you would expect out of a convenience store. There's a liquor department featuring a great selection of your favorite competitively priced spirits, wines, and mixers. And of course, you'll want to check out the huge selection of ice-cold beer in their massive beer cave. Want to grab a quick bite for breakfast or lunch? Don't feel like cooking dinner? At the Lummy Bay Market, you'll find a great hot deli counter, including our brand new fried chicken, chicken tenders, and chicken wings with all the fix-ins. Make the Lummy Bay Market your first or last stop of the day for fuel, food, and more. The Lummy Bay Market, just off I-5 at exit 260 on Rural Avenue. Open 24 hours, 7 days a week. Lummy Bay Market, where, where there's, there's more in the store. store. Ready to build that new home? Do you want precision site preparations, seamless drainage systems, and sturdy house foundations? Honkoop Gravel is your answer. Experience is the difference of their full-service, civil contractors, and state-of-the-art heavy equipment. With over 45 years of service, they ensure quality done right the first time. 
Honkoop Gravel, the professional team you want for your next project. In Linden or at honkoopgravel.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. No gimmicks, just the highest quality systems. 0% interest finance and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Rely on West Mechanical heating, air conditioning, and electrical. Contact them today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and mybellinghamnow.com. CBS News Brief. South Carolina Republicans are heading to the polls where former President Trump is the favorite, though Nikki Haley isn't quitting, political analyst Larry Sabato. She's in it not to win it, but to preserve her position for a crisis this year or a candidacy in 2028, the next presidential election. It's been two years since Russia invaded Ukraine, and Yaroslav Trofimov at the Wall Street Journal has written a book about the war. People talk about peace talks, people talk about some sort of prospects of negotiated solutions, but you cannot ha- negotiate your own extinction. The longtime head of the NRA has been ordered to repay almost $4.4 million, law professor Jessica Levinson. There were also accusations here and a finding of liability based on the idea that he abused his position as head of this nonprofit, that he did not exercise good faith, and that he breached something called his fiduciary duty. CBS News Brief. I'm Allison Keyes. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. I'm your host, Ashley Buttonstone, and on with me today is John Michael Graves. John Michael is with Stand With Us a nonpartisan international education nonprofit dedicated to combating anti-Semitism. So John Michael travels around, he helps students, he helps those uh, experiencing anti-Semitism with some pro bono legal work. He's doing some great work out there. But today he's in California, in San Diego, as he mentioned, on the other side of the West Coast, probably in some sunny weather, which we do not have this morning in Bellingham. But we're just walking through the history of Israel and the West Bank and and some early conflicts uh, that the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, um, before it was nation of Israel, were were enduring. So, John Michael, you know, we left off with Roman occupation and they're over here just, you know, destroying the temples, trying to push the, the Jewish people out. And and so tell us, you know, like we we're talking about where did they go and why were they gone? And so tell us what happens next as, as they're, they're being kind of, I guess, really attacked and not kind of, but, but really attacked and pushed out. Where does it go from here? Absolutely. So uh, once Emperor Hadrian, who was the Roman emperor at this time, um, does expel the Jews outside of Judea, he decides to rename the land uh, Syria-Palestina. Um, you might be familiar with the term Palestine. And this is one of the early originations of that term. Palestine is sort of an Anglicization that the British take up uh, around 2,000 years later. These are crazy time scales we're dealing with, I know. But <laughs> uh, Syria-Palestina, the reason he names this area Syria-Palestina is because he wanted to really stick it to the Jewish people at the time uh, to not have done these revolts and uprisings. Who were the ancient um, enemies of the Jewish people in their lore? It was the okay. Philistines. Philistine actually means, uh, it's an old uh, word that's rooted in the Hebrew word for invader, 
The Philistines are this uh, ancient uh, seafaring people who yeah, actually that's, that's David and their... Goliath, right? That's, that's exactly David and Goliath. Yes, everyone yes. is familiar with it. They actually, funnily enough, originate from Greece a long time ago. Uh, if people didn't know that, uh, but arrived in the Levant uh, sometime. So and so, he names this Syria Philistina as sort of uh, a mockery. Uh, of the Jews uh, at the time. This is if, you know, another country today had come to the United States, taken it over, and renamed it King George Land, right? This is sort of the thing that uh, Emperor Hadrian is going for. Now, the Jewish expulsion really takes place uh, in around 135, or at least the, the main one today that we're concerned with. There's uh, there's another one, 583 BC, but we're not going to talk about this. So now many Jews are actually able to stay within that land and stay within hiding. Many move to the north in the Galilee region. Uh, your listeners might be familiar with that and go into hiding. And Jews have then had a continuous presence in that land for 3,000 years. Actually, one of my really good friends, uh, he now works for the Knesset, actually, of Aviv. He's a descendant of Jews who were able to hide and never left that expulsion. That's a crazy thought for people. But the majority of us were forced out. (laughs) Um, Many individuals were taken as slaves uh, by the Romans and brought to, guess where? Rome. Um, A lot of the money that was looted during uh, the, the destruction of the Second Temple was actually used and financed to build the Roman Colosseum, if you didn't know that. Um, there's uh, this arch called the Arch of Titus, if you go to Italy today, that depicts the destruction of the Second Temple. You see this frieze on this otherwise gorgeous arch that shows them tearing a giant menorah out of the temple, all these things. You can go there today. Um, I mean, there's archaeological evidence right there. Uh, from around 1900 years ago in Italy, showing the destruction of this Jewish connection to the land. So the Jews are brought uh, as slaves to Rome, and now Jews are in Europe. So if any of your listeners have been confused about, wait, why were there Jews in Germany in the 1930s? Same reason as there's any immigrants in America today, right? People get there eventually over time. And so yeah, and very commonly displaced because of being pushed out because of unrest. Exactly. And this is unfortunately until, uh, I couldn't even maybe say until after the creation of the state of Israel, but you know why it's so needed. But this is the reality of what it was to be a Jew for the next about 1900 years. Um, so you had some Jews who were, were taken as slaves who uh, to Rome. Um, this is uh, then what we know as a lot of the Ashkenazi Jews, because afterwards they move upward into the north in this place in Germany called Ashkenaz. There's a bottleneck that happens where their numbers really dwindle. And then from there, they spread throughout all of Europe. And then there are some Jews <clears throat> called Sephardic Jews. Uh, they travel all throughout across the North African continent to get to a place Spain, or Tefrad in Hebrew, as we call it. Um, and, and eventually, uh, actually, the cartographers of Christopher Columbus's journey um, uh-huh. to the New World, all of them were Sephardic Jews, all the people who made his maps. Um, 
And it was actually, if it wasn't for Sephardic Jews, uh, Christopher Columbus would have never uh, come to the New World. Uh, depending on your politics on Christopher Columbus, I guess it's a good <laughs> or bad thing, <laughs> as we know today. Um, but, you know, let's give, let's give them a pass. They didn't know um, if, you, if you align there. Um, but anyway, so yeah, a lot of the, if it wasn't for uh, financiers uh, at the time, I mean, the, the treasurer of uh, the Spanish monarchy under uh, King, uh, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella uh, was Sephardic Jew, same thing. Um, and we can see. Now, then there's another Jewish group, and these are the main Jewish groups, called Mizrahi Jews. Uh, these were the Jews that maybe stayed a little bit closer to home, and they weren't. They went Eastern. Mizrahi in Hebrew just means Eastern, right? Uh, and so these were the Jews of Babylon. These were the Jews of Saudi Arabia, of the Hij- Hijaz, as they used to call it, uh, the Tamani Jews of Yemen. Uh, at one point, you know, it, right before the creation of the State of Israel, Baghdad was 40% Jewish. The intellectual hub and the a lot of the creations of art and culture and science in the Middle East, and specifically out of Baghdad, was the creation of many Mizrahi Jews. And so these are the main distinct Jewish groups, all under still uh, Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. And funnily enough, they do DNA tests between these different groups, and they show Ashkenazi Jews have more in common DNA with other Jewish groups than the European countries they resided in. So uh, Jews in France share more DNA with Persians than they do um, with French people. It's fascinating, isn't it? Even though they may ostensibly, for some people, pass as white or how it is, genetics is different from phenotypical display. And this just continues to go to show how the Jewish people, no matter where they go, they were all connected to each other. I mean, if you look at uh, there, there was, um, in the 1500s, this synagogue in Egypt, a uh, recent archaeological discovery, they showed that there was uh, Ashkenazi Jews who visited from Germany who left Yiddish writing. And so, like, the Jewish community has always been this interconnected uh, on a global scene. The Baghdadi Jews would go and visit France, and it was really one Jewish people, and that's what we always consider ourselves, a people. Whether you are a Mizrahi Jew or a Sephardic Jew or an Ashkenazi Jew, you view yourself the same. Your diaspora experience, diaspora just means Jews living outside of Israel, is actually a word created just specifically for this. Um, well, you know, so other groups took it up. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, my family did their you know, whole DNA test, and, and we had like a small percentage of European Jewish. And I was always like, what in the world is that? And so now, mm-hmm. now it makes sense. Exactly. And so... Now, uh, you have an ancestor who was taken uh, as a slave from ancient Judea, who was brought to Rome, who migrated up to maybe, you know, Germany or uh, some other place and married one of your ancestors. And, and that's, you know, the beauty of humanity. It's a very, really long, complex tapestry. Um, unfortunately, everywhere the Jewish people went, they faced anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. They faced this hatred of being different. Um, uh, and that's no matter biblical. where they went. The persecution, that's very biblical, right? So it, it's, and it's so sad to see. Um, you know, how, okay, so when we talk about even, you know, so further persecution, where do we get to the point where 
So right now we've got the West Bank. There's no, not really a Jewish presence. They're hiding. So what comes next? There's, um, I guess, Islam and there's a big clash, right? Yes. So there's sort of two stories that then uh, begin now that converge later. This is the perfect segue. Thank you. Um, what we see on one hand, story sort of A, let's say, is uh, the Jews are experiencing this diaspora. Now, they do come back. Some do in waves. Um, but it's not massive waves just yet. These are particularly the very, very religious Jews who go back, and we see this on record of uh, really every century of, of the past you know, millennia, Jews are returning um, to the land of Israel. And so there's this story A of anti-Semitism reaches such a boiling point for the Jews of the world that they start to look home. And then this is sort of leading to the development of the state of Israel, which we can break down. There's, okay, so let's let's take B. a break. Mm -hmm. Let's let's yeah. pause here. We're gonna take our last break and we're gonna we're gonna pick this up right as soon as we get back. So we're gonna take our last break. We'll be right back. When you buy a Subaru, you're buying more than a vehicle. You're buying safety for your family, an investment that will hold its value, and something that will last a long, long time. In fewer words, you're buying trust. According to Consumer Reports, Subaru has been ranked the 2023 best mainstream automotive brand. And the Subaru Outback has been named a 2024 recommended model. For a limited time, you can celebrate them both with special offers during the Subaru A Lot to Love event at Dewey Griffin Subaru. On now through April 1st. Stop into Dewey Griffin Subaru and find out how you can get up to 1.9% APR financing on select new 2024 Subaru Outback models. Plus, when you purchase a Subaru from Dewey, you'll be supporting a local dealership that supports our local community. Dewey Griffin Subaru. Community-minded, community-driven, and the only Subaru certified tire and service center in Whatcom County. Learn more at Subaru.com slash CR. Craving cash? Yearning for excitement? Treat your heart's desire to a share of $70,000 in cash and free play. Join us for hourly hot seat drawings every Wednesday in February from 4 to 7 p.m. Every hour brings seven new guaranteed winners. Seven lovely wins for seven lovely winners. The results are in, and you voted us best casino and best stake in the Northwest. Thank you all for your support. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. What does your dream getaway have? Luxury hotel rooms, elegant suites, and relaxing spa? We've got that. World-class Wine Spectator Award-winning Steakhouse? We've got that. Washington's premier golf destination? We've got that. How about the newest slots, table games, and exciting promotions? Oh, yeah, we've got those, too. Visit Silver Reef Casino Resort and hit the getaway jackpot. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. Thank you for joining us on this Saturday morning. My guest today is John Michael Graves, and we are going, we're, we're digging in deep here to the history of Israel, the West Bank, and how, how the Jewish people got there, why they weren't there for a while. And right now we're about to just jump into how the how Islam kind of came to be and in the West Bank in that area. So, John Michael, thank you again for being with us straight from California. Um, let us 
give us this background of, of how, you know, so we've got people coming home, got the Jewish people coming back to Israel, returning home as anti-Semitism really kicks up a notch everywhere. So where do we go from here? Yes. So there's sort of these two parallel stories that are happening. And the first one really doesn't come into an end. One could say it really doesn't end, but it doesn't really come into its full culmination until the 18-1900s, that massive influx of returning homes, because anti-Semitism is just reaching a boiling point, and eventually we know another massive influx after the Holocaust. But there's another story. When we're talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, eventually what we are going to get into one of these days in the future, Uh there's a second group there. (laughs) There are the Palestinians, right? And there's this second people. And people are a little bit curious of, wait a second, you know, I'm a Christian, let's say. I'm very familiar with the Jewish connection to this land. I I understand, you know, uh, I read in the Bible that Jews have always been there. How did this, what is the second group? Where is the second group coming from? So, the the Palestinians are um, an Arab group from the Middle East. Now, uh, we're all familiar possibly, within Islam, there was the prophet Muhammad, right? He receives this um, wisdom, and he begins proselytizing. He begins sharing this, uh, his mission of spreading Islam out throughout the Middle East and North Africa, eventually, right? And this is right. 600s, 700s. We really see the expanse of Islam. And these are <clears throat> Arabians. Um, these are Arabs from uh, the peninsula, right? Okay. And so, eventually, in the 6 and 700s, with this continual spread, the prophet Muhammad eventually, you know, passes away, and then Islam gets passed down um, to successive rulers, which the main one uh, for today that we're going to be discussing is Umar. Uh, maybe <laughs> this is going to get really. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it very uh, understandable for the moment. Yes. So, in Islam, uh, they, the, one of the goals was to seek converts, right? Sort of mm-hmm. the same same mo as Christianity. Uh, Judaism does not do that. Judaism is a closed religion. I don't know if your listeners know this. Judaism does not seek converts. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to convert, there's this really lengthy process that can take anywhere from three to seven years. Uh, but within the religion and ethno-religion of Judaism, because it's an ethnicity as well, and this is why we have Jewish DNA, because people really weren't joining the tribe in mass, right, for about 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Um, we see this real contentness uh, just to be with other Jews and practice, and then as long as other people are good people and follow uh, the Noahide laws, et cetera, et cetera, things can go well, right? Well, then we obviously know the introduction of Christianity and proselytization uh, and converting people. Uh, the same thing also we see with Islam. Uh, Islam converts initially many of its people by the sword, however, throughout the Middle East and North Africa. And a lot of these are forced conversions, other times when uh, the Islamic armies would arrive to a place and lay siege. There's a famous story about the Jews of Medina um, when uh, Muhammad arrived in Saudi Arabia. There's a really old Jewish community of Medina, and a lot of Islam actually uh, is similar 
to uh, Judaism. There's dietary restrictions. There's You have the halakha, or the Torah law, in Judaism. And then you have Sharia law within Islam. Uh, so actually, on uh, some ways, Judaism is closer to Islam, Islam Judaism, than Christianity because Islam was purposefully also trying to mimic Judaism at the time. One of the reasons being actually to convert influential and wealthy Jews in the Middle East. Okay. And so, yeah. And so they arrive to uh, Medina, which is in the Hejaz in old Saudi Arabia. And the Jews, as we know, <laughs> very reluctant, very stubborn. We say we're good. We're good. We don't want to convert. Mm-hmm. And then eventually what happens, which is written about in the, around 730 by uh, Muslim scholars, they kill all of the men for not converting. And when we see this continually uh, throughout the Middle East, the Jews of Khaibar, uh, there is no Jewish community of Khaibar anymore. The, the, actually, the Jewish community in Saudi Arabia, before the expansion of Islam, or rather the Arabian Peninsula, uh, was very large. And now, as we know today, there's, there, there's none, right? And, and so we see this. Eventually, third up in line is uh, Umar. And Umar arrives uh, into the Levant, into modern-day Israel, uh, the West Bank, uh, Judea, and Samaria. And here we see the takeover and the siege of Jerusalem, as well as um, uh, the introduction now, for the first time, of majority Arabs coming into the land. Now, this is, we're talking around 636, 637, right? Okay, so Mm -hmm. Jerusalem had been, you know, a little bit well fortified, but eventually the uh, Islamic armies were able to take it over. And then there was a surrender. That was the date of the surrender of Jerusalem is, like, really debatable, and it's this whole uh, esoteric (laughs) thing. But eventually, (laughs) um, Caliph Umar uh, wins this around, I believe, uh, 637. uh, um, yeah, around 637, I want to say. And upon his arrival in Jerusalem, uh, he actually established some assurances and covenants, etc. But anyway, the gist of this is now we see a mass Arabization. What do I mean by that? Uh, a bringing in of many different Arab people and an Arabization of uh, communities all coming in now. now. Now we have the real first prominent arrival of Arabs within this land in around the 600s, and this just continues to actually grow um, from then on. And now Arabs become the majority okay. uh, in this land. And so we see this introduction. Um, Jews are still returning at this time, but from here on out, we see hostilities. And so I don't know if you know, uh, uh, if your uh, listeners know much about Islam, uh, there is sort of this uh, tradition, there's a rule, <laughs> where uh, they would come in and they would build their temples upon the holy sites of the other religions that they conquered, whether it was so the Christian, uh, Christian or Zoroastrian. What were you saying? It's the marking their territory, really, right? I mean, they're, and they're trying to take over, expel any other religion. Yeah, absolutely. So historically, that's that's what they did. It was very common uh, in these armies at the time, and it was saying like, "We're we're the new people now. This is the site that you're very familiar with. 
And so eventually, uh, the holiest place uh, in Judaism, uh, the Beit HaMikdash, where the temple stood, you know, where the Western Wall, or the yes. hotel, we informally call it, uh, that's one of the supporting walls of the ancient temple, if your listeners didn't know. They come in and then they build Al-Aqsa Mosque in the Dome of the Rock onto this, and they mm-hmm. declare it as a holy site. Um, now, uh, this place is written in uh, the Quran, um, and it is believed to, to be, uh, according to devout uh, Muslims, the third holiest site in Islam, right? And so now, uh, why is this? Well, because Muhammad had taken uh, a midnight journey over one night um, to the city of uh, Jerusalem just before he died, and he ascended up into heaven from where the Dome of the Rock uh, currently now sits, right? Okay. And so this is, you know, after um, after uh, Medina and, you know, uh, the first two areas, we have the third. Okay. And so now you have the third holiest site in Islam, which is now this massive, huge, growing religion that's spreading all throughout um, North Africa and the Middle East and further. Upon the first holiest site uh, of this, another group of people who are not going to ever give their connection up for this land. And then this is when we see now just for centuries continuing forward, tensions really start to rise between these two groups of people. Right. And this is more of them, a little bit of the modern day tension that people know about. You know, it's that big golden dome that you see in Israel. And, and so people, that's a, that's a land where people can really identify that they know of. So, so this is, I mean, I guess I kind of always wondered why Israel, you know, why they didn't, and, and this is maybe just my ignorance, but why they didn't just say, this is no longer going to be that site. This is a Jewish site. And so what, what's the, we only have a few minutes left here before we, we are jumping off. Um, but mm-hmm. I guess maybe you could tell me, or maybe we'll save it for later. Um, but that's something I'm curious about. Like why, why has Israel not said no longer is this going to be sacred to Islam? Absolutely. And at first, I think this is a great place to leave off because it, okay. it, it starts these two stories. It starts now the building of political Zionism and eventually the Jewish return home, which is now Jews then will become the majority, which adds another complex layer to this. And as well as the growing um, nativization, the growing connection now for Palestinians to this land as those converge. And that's where we're going to pick it off, next, pick it up off next time. And that's just going to be filled with stuff. But um to answer your question, uh, for a couple reasons, I would say. One is uh, strategic, and that might be the main one. There are 15 million Jews in the world. Right. Um, there are over a billion Muslims. And the third holiest site for a, over a billion people, when you are 15 million people, I mean, if, if Israel, first yep, of all, the- did anything to this site, they would not maybe exist tomorrow. Yep, yep. Okay, so the math. I get it. I get it. It's the math right now. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, We're going to jump off here, but when we we come back in a month, I I invite all of you to come back and listen. Uh, We're going to dive into World War I. We're going to continue about the Jews coming home. 
and we're going to dig in deeper so that we can get to the modern day conversation going on. So John Michael, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy your time in California. Anything you want to say thank before you. you go? Um, no, I'm so happy to be down here and not up there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm looking for California today. We all can drink. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a wonderful Saturday.